Welcome to Investment Matters, the Newton Investment Management Podcast, where we look at various elements of, of the work that our investment team are doing. I'm Matt Goodburn from the Investment Communications team. Today, we are looking at, at our thematic process. And specifically, we're looking at one of our key micro themes, deglobalization. But we're also going to look at how it interlocks with uh, it works together with some of our macro themes. So to that end, I have Monty Corey, who's a senior equity analyst in Boston. And also Paul Brain, who's who's obviously fixed income team leader and has been leading on a lot of our macro thematic work. So welcome to you both. Monty, I'm going to start with you, really. I know you've worked very hard on the deglobalization theme and you've been involved, obviously, in its development. We, you know, we're talking about a very long duration theme here. So do you want to give us a sort of flavor of the, the sort of things that come within this theme that you've been thinking about? Yeah, so... You know, I'll speak a little bit about the genesis of this theme, and then and then uh, spend more time on kind of the bigger long-term drivers that we're thinking about. In my primary role, I cover industrials and other cyclical businesses, and you know, as part of our growth cyclical pod, we had been discussing the the trends around reshoring and. We decided to hold a offsite. This is something we do uh, fairly regularly, where we uh, invite an outside speaker uh, to come in and, and discuss a topic. and And we chose reshoring as a topic. And we actually invited the the founder of the Reshoring Initiative, who is well known in the industry for tracking the number of reshoring jobs and reshoring projects. And he came in and, and spoke to us, and it really resonated well with the team, uh, and really gave us confidence that this would be a sustainable. Uh, long-term trend. And that was really the genesis of the micro theme. And we built built up around it in terms of you know, how to frame it, how it would play out, what companies would benefit at a high level, just to make sure we're all uh, working off the same page here. Uh, you know, we're talking about reversing decades of globalization where supply chains have shifted mostly to the uh, to the east, to China and other regions, and companies have really been running a just-in-time type inventory system. And what the COVID pandemic did was really highlight the challenges of it. And and you know, to be fair, even before COVID, uh, there were questions emerging on whether this made sense because there were a lot of national security implications, strategic sourcing implications, and just concerns about how the system would respond to a shock. And those Concerns were were, were well-founded, as we saw with COVID, and consumers were dealing with shortages of of everything from, you know, medicines to uh, protective equipment and even, you know, common consumer items. And it really hurt companies' ability to deliver for their customers. It hurt uh, their ability to generate revenues because they lost sales, and it has uh, significantly hurt their margins uh, because it's been quite expensive to find alternative sources of supply, to find uh, components that are in short supply, and then to ship them on an expedited basis. Uh, so it, it the COVID pandemic wreaked havoc with the global supply chain system as it had been set up and really spurred companies to rethink that system. As investors, what we're doing is trying to understand how these changes can benefit companies and where this new reality is not baked into what people expect, uh, where companies can perhaps generate more revenues and more profits than investors currently expect. And and 
create investment opportunities. And and the way we think about this is is a is along uh, five dimensions of impact, and we call them five vectors of impact. The first is what we've been talking about reshoring. This is literally the movement of jobs and manufacturing capacity back into the U.S. market, and it will benefit companies that provide the capacity to do that. So this is capital equipment uh, makers that provide the the tools and the large machinery that go into a factory. And there are many out there which will significantly benefit in the coming you know decade plus uh, as more capacity shifts back. The other vector we explore is smart manufacturing. So when you move these manufacturing uh, facilities back, you're not going to use old technology. You're going to use the latest technology. And what we've also found is in this environment, labor is tough to come by. So companies are adopting smart manufacturing to improve overall productivity and increase operational flexibility and efficiency uh, and also lower the reliance on labor. So this is automation companies. This is robotic companies that are benefiting and even industrial software companies that provide uh, you know, the basic software for, for operating these facilities. The next vector we focus on is energy efficiency. So as part of this deglobalization trend, there's other factors at play. Uh, and one of the bigger ones is energy transition. So uh, obviously companies and consumers are hyper aware of of the uh, impact of uh, inefficient energy and inefficient energy sources. So we're going through a period of energy transition. And as a higher energy prices flow through, there's a more compelling reason to upgrade equipment and upgrade appliances and systems to more energy efficient products. You know, one big area is, is building HVAC systems. These generally represent the single biggest user of electricity in a building. Uh, in some s- circumstances, are on average, I would say they they represent about 40% of the electricity use in a building. And the newest technology can offer significant savings and really provide a compelling payback period for operators. The fourth vector we're focused on is rebuilding America. Uh, And this is more focused on the infrastructure that is necessary to bring all these jobs and all this capacity back. And it intersects well with uh, higher government spending because that's really one of the catalysts for for this uh, uh, vector. You know, we've seen the U.S. pass a number of bills that support infrastructure spending, bridges, roads, uh, airports, uh, upgrading the electricity grid, and at the same time, uh, there's other bills that support or incentivize the the building of new production facilities and areas, strategic areas like chip production uh, and electric vehicles. Countries want to be in control of those new technology trends, and they're providing incentives to build those in the U.S., and therefore, it will benefit well-positioned U.S. players. And then, you know, the final vector we think about is uh, what is a higher economic activity and higher number of jobs in the U.S.? What opportunities does that create? And there we we uh, have found that companies involved in the services businesses, for example, uniform rental and facility services companies in the U.S. are uniquely positioned to benefit as we have more manufacturing capacity, which spurs greater economic activity. 
Thanks, Montia. That's a, that's a really nice way to break it down. And obviously, we can perhaps come back again in more detail in, in, a, in a moment. But I'd like to bring in uh, Paul at this point. Obviously, you've talked about a number of touch points there, higher government spending. You talked about infrastructure, you know, greater economic activity. These all tie in, don't they, where we can see a kind of interface with uh, some of our macro themes. And I think, Paul, as someone that's worked on the, from the macro side on our thematics, there's two themes in particular, aren't there, that, that chime with this deglobalization theme? Uh, yes, essentially, um, the deglobalization theme touches on a lot of the macro points that we are going through, because a lot of this is is government led. So we've got a, a theme which is bigger government, um, which is essentially looking at how governments are influencing the economies going forward, and therefore the the asset markets, uh, applying basically a carrot and stick approach. So uh, encouraging investment through either um, increasing taxes on imports or increasing or decreasing taxes on uh, establishing production closer to home uh, whether that's actually at home or actually in, uh, in, a, in within the region that uh, Mondi was talking about yeah and essentially of course there's the other macro theme that uh, influences particular area which is great power competition which looks at some of the reasons why there is perhaps um, a need to uh, focus on domestic production focus on production with uh, nearshoring of friends rather than perhaps uh, where there's conflict or potential conflict further down the road. And that is, of course, very obvious when you look at the US-China relationship, in particular to countries that used to trade extensively with with each other, but is trading less so over over time. Uh, but it does mean that the trade within regions, as Monty points out, is uh, picking up quite substantially. And the implications for all this, uh, when we look at our macro themes, Outside of just the uh, effect on U.S. companies that may benefit from this, you look more broadly, you've got a change in the way that shipping, air freight, et cetera, is being done now. Different countries, and they're still still going on, but it's probably uh, different destinations and different uh, starting points. A change in immigration as well. It's not always true to say that if the, the, the reason why globalization existed was because companies sought cheap labor in other countries, we're seeing a, a shift in that that labour migration, as of course the production shifts as well, and so that's another thing that changes. And Monty's already touched on the other other points about, uh, let's say, robotics or smart smart production, cheaper energy in the longer term as well. Uh, that's a, a given, I think, for some countries that require to to have an edge perhaps over the uh, their the competition globally. Uh, I think it will need cheap la- uh, energy as well as cheap labour. Uh, internally or domestically. But these are all interconnected. I think we go back to that big government theme and look at where are governments getting involved? Are they doing it in a way that is efficient? Or actually, are they just creating more expensive production, more inefficient production? So that's really one of the tests for this uh, long-term theme, this trend, is actually, is it going to result in something that we're all concerned about, which is higher inflation further down the road? We would say deglobalization, uh, we would say big government, uh, great power competition. These are all essentially uh, the margin inflationary themes because the opposite is true. Where we've had small government, we've had globalization and we've had cooperation across the globe. You get you've tended to get disinflation over time. So uh, when you go in reverse, you're going to get end up with higher inflation, higher cost base. But the more you can introduce smart technology, the more you can introduce cheap energy, the more you can actually um, perhaps shift immigration around, the greater the chance that you're going to get maybe less inflation from this particular trend. Okay, thanks, Paul. That's a nice roundup. Obviously, it's a 
we can see how it touched on so many areas then. Monty, I'll come back to you. Obviously, you talked about the five key areas where you work at it from from that from the micro side. So is there anything specifically that you think obviously all these areas provide opportunities, you know, as investment managers? Anything specifically you want to sort of just touch on today that's just perhaps where you're focusing quite a bit of your attention as an investor right now? Yeah, so, uh, you know, a, a couple of them do stand out as bigger areas of uh, investment focus. Yeah, the the two areas of focus where we're spending more time in terms of the vectors of impact, one is energy efficiency. So as companies seek to lessen their dependence on high-cost energy sources and also improve reliability of supply and look to lower their carbon footprint, they are finding ways to lower their energy usage and be more efficient about their operations. You know, I discussed one area of focus, which is HVAC. Commercial HVAC companies provide new technologies such as heat pumps, such as more uh, energy efficient systems, such as remote monitoring capabilities that do allow building owners to lower their carbon footprint and their electricity consumption. Uh, And really, it's the best of all worlds because you're just lowering the amount of electricity you're using. And also, it uh, enables you to connect to uh, different sources of of energy production, like uh, alternative energy, uh, solar power, wind power. And then, you know, along that same vector of energy efficiency, another big user of electricity in factories are compressors. Uh, you know, there are estimates out there that suggest uh, compressors use anywhere from 25 to 40 percent of the electricity in a factory. And similar to HVAC, you can lower the energy usage by upgrading the compressors. So they're well-positioned companies that uh, we're focused on that provide this new compression technology that provide the best-in-class uh, efficiency. And companies are now focusing on this area as an opportunity for not only cost savings, but also to lower their carbon footprint. And, you know, this has historically been an area that they just did not spend time with. It didn't meet the uh, kind of urgency that we're seeing now. And then the other area where we're spending a lot of time is on smart manufacturing. So there are just a number of ways and a number of companies involved in Uh, improving the operations of factories as they come back to the U.S. or to other regions, for that matter, and make the overall operations more productive, more flexible, and more efficient and cost-effective as the ultimate kind of measure of positive contribution. And, you know, one of the issues the U.S. is dealing with is a shortage of labor, especially skilled labor. And so, Companies are looking at robotics uh, as a way to uh, to solve for that sor- shortage. They're more uh, aware of what's happening on the factory floor. All the systems are being connected, and this creates a much more flexible, dynamic operating environment that can adjust to uh, to the realities of of the economy. And it's it's a, such a fruitful area for focus because there's companies in the technology sector, in the industrial sector, in the software sector that help in various parts of this ecosystem. And, you know, we think that ultimately demand for their products is being underestimated and that these companies that are well positioned to provide both the hardware and software 
for this area will will uh, do extremely well in the coming years. Thanks, Monty. And obviously, Monty's looking at our multidimensional research, obviously very much from an equity point of view as a as a senior equity analyst. Paul obviously uh, works with fixed income. Paul, the same multidimensional approach obviously applies to our fixed income work. How does that? How does it compare? I mean, how are you being able to use these themes uh, in your research? Yeah, the great thing about the platform we have now, the research platform we have, is that uh, the credit analysts and the equity analysts uh, are communicating with with each other uh, on these sort of topics and looking at the effect on companies, either from an equity point of view or from uh, a credit or debt uh, uh, sustainability point of view. So as we move into uh, maybe a more difficult economic environment where we're going to have perhaps consistently higher inflation than we would ordinarily have had, because of this central trend, as the investment goes on, unfortunately, prices get pushed up. There isn't always the right labor in the right, right areas, et cetera. Whilst that's going on, and whilst we're going through perhaps a difficult or a downturn in economic uh, outlook, those companies that may be move, uh, receiving state support from uh, from the big government theme that is pushing towards this uh, onshoring, nearshoring trend, those countries that previously didn't benefit, in particular, let's say Mexico, that was uh, was being pushed out of the way by investment in China, that's going to full reverse. So those countries that uh, we invest in that can get that support through this difficult environment is something that obviously will steer our um, um, investment decisions uh, going forward. Well, thanks, Paul. I think we'll leave it there for today. I think that was a nice run through of our uh, deglobalization theme and a nice way of seeing how our, our micro and macro teams can can work together. So I just want to say thank you to Paul and thanks to Monty, and we'll catch up with you all again very soon. Analysis of themes may vary depending on the type of security, investment rationale and investment strategy. Newton will make investment decisions that are not based on themes and may conclude that other attributes of an investment outweigh the thematic structure the security has been assigned to. Where material and relevant information exists, analysis may vary depending on the type of security, investment rationale and investment strategy. Newton does not currently view certain types of investments as presenting ESG risks, opportunities and or issues and believes it is not practical to evaluate such risks, opportunities and or issues for certain other investments. In addition, Newton will make investment decisions that are not solely based on ESG considerations. Newton may conclude that other attributes of an investment outweigh ESG considerations when making investment decisions. For institutional clients only. Issued by Newton Investment Management North America LLC. Newton Investment Management North America LLC. NIMNA, or the firm, is a registered investment advisor with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, and subsidiary of the Bank of New York Mellon Corporation, BNY Mellon. The firm was established in 2021, comprised of equity and multi-asset teams from an affiliate, Mellon Investments Corporation. The firm is part of the group of affiliated companies that individually or collectively provide investment advisory services under the brand Newton or Newton Investment Management. Newton currently includes NIMNA and Newton Investment Management Limited, NIM, and Newton Investment Management Japan Limited, NIMJ. Any statements of opinion constitute only current opinions of NIMNA, which are subject to change and which NIMNA does not undertake to update. 
This publication or any portion thereof may not be copied or distributed without prior written approval from the firm. Statements are correct as of the date of the material only. This document may not be used for the purpose of an offer or solicitation in any jurisdiction or in any circumstance in which such offer or solicitation is unlawful or not authorised. The information in this publication is for general information only and is not intended to provide specific investment advice or recommendations for any purchase or sale of any specific security. Some information contained herein has been obtained from third-party sources that are believed to be reliable, but the information has not been independently verified by NIMNA. NIMNA makes no representations as to the accuracy or the completeness of such information. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee returns or eliminate risk in any market environment, and past performance is no indication of future performance. The indices referred to herein are used for comparative and informational purposes only and have been selected because they are generally considered to be representative of certain markets. Comparisons to indices as benchmarks have limitations because indices have volatility and other material characteristics that may differ from the portfolio, investment or hedge to which they are compared. The providers of the indices referred to herein are not affiliated with NIMNA, do not endorse, sponsor, sell or promote the investment strategies or products mentioned herein, and they make no representation regarding the advisability of investing in the products and strategies described herein. Any forward-looking statements speak only as of the date they are made and are subject to numerous assumptions, risks and uncertainties which change over time. Actual results could differ materially from those anticipated in forward-looking statements. If distributed in the UK, EMEA, Australia, New Zealand, this podcast is issued by NIM and may be deemed a financial promotion. NIM is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, FCA, 12 Endeavour Square, London, E20 1JN, in the conduct of investment business. Registered in England, number 01371973. NIM is also registered as an investment advisor with the Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, to offer investment advisory services in the United States. If distributed in Canada, this podcast is issued by NIMNA, which is availing itself of the International Advisor Exemption, IAE, in the following Canadian provinces, Alberta, British Columbia, Manitoba and Ontario, and the Foreign Commodity Trading Advisor Exemption in Ontario. The IAE is in compliance with the National Instrument 31-103, registration requirements, exemptions and ongoing registrant obligations.